You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. Welcome. We're glad you're here. I want to invite you to grab your Bible and to get ready to study God's Word together. It's great to see you. Uh, It's awesome to be here at Rolling Meadows. It's great to have the rest of you folks at all the campuses join us. Um, We are going to spend the next several minutes in uh, a pretty focused Bible study, actually, uh, but it's going to be a Bible study that covers a pretty good swath of the scriptures. So I want to share with you one of the great controlling themes of the Bible, actually a way for you to understand what a big part of the scriptures are about, and hopefully it will frame um, our understanding of why we're here at this particular moment and what kinds of things we ought to be doing as God's church awaiting the return of our king, okay? Um, So because of that, you're probably just going to want to follow me on the screen here quite a bit. Um, If you are really good with the scripture and you know all the text and you can go really quickly there, that's great. Uh, But it might be helpful for you instead just to write them down and maybe you can have a poke at them a little bit bit later. One of the most interesting experiences I've had in my life, I've been blessed to travel a lot and to live in several different cultures. Um, One of the most interesting experiences I've had along those lines was when I was uh, in Hong Kong, which is a great city, by the way. If you've never been to Hong Kong, you really should consider going sometime. It is a magnificent city. Uh, The trains in Hong Kong are phenomenal. They all run on very much on time, and they go everywhere you actually Oftentimes, we'll come out off of one of the subways or one of the trains, and you're underneath this massive mall, and it, it's a very well-put-together kind of, kind of city. Um, I remember, though, uh, when we were going on those trains, uh, I, I, di- I didn't understand uh, Cantonese well enough to go to the little, uh, to the little um, booth, the, the electronic booth, you know, when you go into the subway or something, you can get your own little card there. I didn't understand any of that, and so I had to stand in line to get uh, the person to help me to buy my tickets or my pass that I was going to get for the week. I was there with a friend, and another friend actually who lived there, but he was off in the distance doing something else. So we were standing there, me and my friend. And um, you know how we stand in line here in the United States is that we kind of, we, we are not really into as being right close to people all the time. Many of you in the church know this right now because next to you, you have your purse or your wallet or you've made sure to give people stink eye when they were about to sit there, Do you know, because you don't want anyone sitting right next to you. That's just a little awkward. And when somebody comes into a room like this and you're sitting all alone, perhaps, and they come and sit really close to you, you're like, dude, the whole place, you could, <clears throat> well, in, in Hong Kong, it's not, that's not the way it works. Um, and Asian cultures, they're used to very tight spaces. So I was standing in line, what I thought to be, a, I was clearly in line, right? But I was standing there, and these folks kept, these people from Hong Kong would come in, they'd look at me and stand right in front of me. And then, of course, they're standing right in front of me, and it's awkward and close, so I, like, back up a little bit. Like, whoa, this is a little... And then another guy comes in, and he stands right in front of me. So I back up a little bit. And another guy comes in front of me, and I'm livid. I'm thinking, who are these people? They're the rudest people on the entire planet. 
these, these people, my friend actually, Tim, he came over to me and he said, what's taking so long? And I said, dude, everybody's cutting in front of me. What is going on? He said, well, you're not in line. <laughs> what do you mean I'm not in line? I'm standing here in line. He's, he said, no, 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 you have to understand. They don't think you're in line unless you're actually like almost touching their backs. Right? Can you imagine doing that in the United States? I'm going to do that later today or other times in the city. I'm going to just walk right up next to somebody and they'll be like, well, what do you want to fight? <laughs> Cultural misunderstandings. If you've ever traveled, if you've ever, if you've ever lived cross-culturally, one, one of the things you know is, especially in the early stages, you have to figure out how to overcome all of these cultural misunderstandings. How people do stuff. It's just natural to them. It's not natural to you. You have a different natural. People from other cultures come here, and like I said, they would sit down and look in our rooms of our churches and be like, this is nowhere near. Do you guys have so many seats? You just, everyone's squished together. And I remember doing that in churches before when the church gets really large. Okay, everybody's going to squish together. And all the, you know, all the, all, all the white North Americans are like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. You know, like, I don't want to be anywhere near that person. You don't usually fit in the culture that's not your own. It takes a long time to fit in a culture that's not your own. You feel very much like an alien. You feel very much like a stranger. You're not sure if you belong. That whole experience should give you an idea of why the Bible uses language for Christians that we are aliens and strangers in the kingdoms of this world. You and I are actually citizens. If you're a Christian, you profess faith in Christ, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God while living as a citizen of a kingdom in this world. And that tension gets really hard lots of times. You don't always feel like you belong. In fact, you're not supposed to feel like you belong. But listen, listen the language of Scripture is clear. I use that language of uh, strangers and aliens because it's, it's in Scripture. First Peter 2, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, I mean, traveling through, people traveling through, and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Yet this is what describes you. You're a sojourner, an exile, a stranger, an alien. And that's because, according to Philippians 3, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, from heaven, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has delivered us, in fact, this, this God of ours. He has delivered us from the domain, listen to language, the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We were once, well, in Canada, the domain of darkness. Okay, so I, I won't. But do you see the language, the idea that we are we are, because of our faith in Jesus Christ, it's not just that we give, have faith and we just kind of go along our merry way in the world, just sort of fitting in. We are in the world, but not of it. We're different. 
And that's because of our citizenship in the kingdom of God. And that little phrase, kingdom of God, is one of the best ways to understand the world you inhabit and what you as a Christian are supposed to be doing in the here and now. So what I want to do over the next several minutes is I want to uh, take that image, that idea of the kingdom of God, and I want to do a Bible study on it. I'm going to ask three questions about the kingdom of God and answer all, all three of them in order. Here, here's the first one. What is it? What is the kingdom of God? Where does it come from in the sense of the scriptures? Where do we get this language from? How does it work through the Bible? So let's, let's do that first. Uh, what is the kingdom of God? So um, if you know your Bible, and those of you who might not or be new to the scriptures, there's a section in the Old Testament, right? The Hebrew scriptures, front part of our Bible. There's a section where... Um, Israel, the people of God, ask for a king. Now, what leads up to this asking for a king is God was always their king. Yahweh was always their king. Remember, they come across the Red Sea. They don't have, like, a king with them. They have Moses with them, but he's not their king. Yahweh is their king. Remember who led them out of Egypt by, you know, pillar of fire? He was their king. Now, you couldn't put your fingers on him and touch him, but he was there. They led him out. They led him them out. He parted the Red Sea, delivered them through it. Without a bullet being fired, he, he destroyed the enemy army of uh, the Egyptians. You know, swallowed them up in the sea. He's a pretty good king. When they get actually across, they eventually get to the promised land. They have a 40-year little... Uh, stop along the way, you know, spend some time at Bucky's there for about 40 years. And then eventually they get to uh, the promised land. And I don't know if you remember, when they get to the promised land, they have to go in and they're going to take the city of Jericho. And here's the thing, when you don't have a physical king, sometimes the king who is the Lord, he does things very differently. And so when they get to the edge of Jericho, which is surrounded by this massive wall, you know, if you're a regular king, you're standing over the plans with all your generals trying to figure out, okay, so if we move here, we're going to do a diversion over here, we'll lob a bunch of smoke bombs there, and we'll come at them from the... You, you come up with a real plan, but when your king is Yahweh, he does things a little different. He's like, okay, so here's the plan, guys, ready? And he's standing in the huddle with Yahweh, and he's like, okay, I want you to walk around the city a bunch of times, and at the end, you're just going to scream at the top of your lungs, and then boom, the walls are coming down. And, you know, are you sure that's the way Yahweh wants to do it? Joshua's like, yeah, that's what, that's what he told me. It's hard sometimes to follow a king who doesn't make sense. Does it work? Yeah, of course it doesn't work. Of course it works. But everybody else has got a king who they can look at and see. And when they see their king, guys, you don't pick like the little tiny Lord Farquaad king. He's not the, he's, you, you pick the big, strong, strapping Schwarzenegger king. That's what you want. And the people of Israel were like, look at everybody else. We got this awesome kings. And we have, yeah, Yahweh. I mean, he's really great. But, he, you know, we can't, like, take a picture of him and put him on a wall and then show him to all our enemies and say, you want to mess with us, you got to mess with him. We want a king. <laughs> Yahweh's like, you know, if you get a king, if you guys have a human king, it's going to be way worse than me. 
just so you know. Like, he's going to be terrible. He's going to oppress you and do a whole, whole bunch of things. And they're like, we still want him. All right. So they choose a king. The Lord picks a king. And guess what he picks? He picks a guy who looks exactly like what they want. Saul. Boom. Boom. Uh, Saul. He, is, he, looks, he looks the part. Leader. He also doesn't like to obey God all that much, which is a problem. They get into deep trouble, and so eventually the Lord's like, you know what, this is, this is not, this is what you wanted, but it's not actually what you want, is it? So look, we're going to have a different king, a king who's after my own heart. So he sends his prophet Samuel to go pick a king. He, go, he says, he's the, one of the sons of Jesse, he says. So he goes to Jesse's house, Samuel. Okay, the Lord sent me here. Apparently one of your kids is a king. Jesse's like, sweet, I got a bunch of kids. I'm going to line up all my boys, and they line up all the boys, and, and Samuel goes down, and like the first one, he's like, well, clearly this is the king. He looks just like Saul. All the nations will be scared of him. And the Lord's like, nah, it's not him, not him, not him, not him, not him. He goes all the way through. There's nobody left. And he turns to Jesse and says, don't you have any more kids? Yeah, I got a little David. He's out in the field. He's kind of a, I don't know. We didn't bring him along. He's too young. He, you wouldn't want him as a king. They bring him along. Yes, he's the king. Totally unexpected king. This is the way God does things in his kingdom. He ends up choosing the obscure, unexpected, weak. In fact, through them, he often shames the wise. It's not supposed to work this way, right? It's supposed to work the way the kings of this age say. It's not supposed to work with the little people and the ones who don't have it together, right? But they choose, he chose David. And then David leads the people of Israel into their golden, their golden age. They beat all their opponents. Solomon, his son, ends up ruling over a kingdom that is, you know, peace and prosperity. And, and during this time, there starts to be this kind of vibe. You know, David's going to die one day. But there are these promises from prophets and others who start talking about a king like David whose reign will be everlasting. A golden age, not just for the people of Israel, but for golden age for all the land. He will bring peace and he will bring justice and he will bring righteousness forever and ever and ever. Amen. So you get language and Psalms, for example, Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? See, the kings of the earth, they set themselves and the rulers take counsel together, right? They get their little summit meeting and they counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. That's his king. They're on a stand over against the king. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us, those kings say together. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Don't you love? This is the way God thinks about all of our leaders and their planning. These, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, right? The mountain of where Jerusalem is. My holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. 
This is the Lord speaking to his king. You are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. You get the image, right? All the other kings of the land are going to try to fight back against, but the Lord has anointed a king who will control and rule with a rod of iron over all of them. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up, look, for David, a righteous branch, right? So David is the stalk and a branch coming. I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and he'll deal wisely. He shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. There's going to be somebody who's going to come. He's going to be in the line of David. And when he comes, he is going to fix all that has gone wrong. Not just for Israel, but for all the raging nations who stand over against him and want to control the world through all their plotting and planning and 15-minute cities and blah, blah, blah. There's a king who will come, and he'll put all things right. Here's Isaiah 9. He starts talking about it. This is a familiar one for you, because like in a few months, you're going to be reading this to you know, your family around Christmas. But here's what it means, right? To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the, look, the government shall be upon his shoulder. He will carry the government. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You know how in the world today we, like, we have like, uh, I don't know how to say it, unequal scales, you know? Like if you, have, if you have power, you get to kind of tilt things in your direction so you get more money and you get more fame and you get to maintain all of your standing. You know how, you know, you use your position and it's, we always say, if you, it's all about who you know. Right. That's the way it works in this world. And if you're a nobody, you get nothing. It's so unjust. But there is a king who will come and he will put all those things right. He will lift up the concern of the poor and the widow and the outsiders and he will raise them up. Yeah? Be cool when this guy comes, yeah? So uh, the people of Israel are like hankering for this guy for a long time. And they start looking for him. They call him their Messiah. He's their deliverer. He's the king who's going to come in David's throne. And he's going to cast off all the shackles of all the, all the kings and other kingdoms that have tried to oppress them, especially the Romans, as we get closer and closer to the time of Christ. And so you understand then why you get into Luke chapter 1, why it is that when the angel comes to Mary and he announces who she's going to give birth to, listen to the language that's used about this child 
Mary, behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him named, his name Jesus, and he, he will be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him, what? The throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. He's going to be like David, but from, you know this king, this Messiah you've been waiting for, you're going to give birth to him. Like, it, she's 14. What? The greatest king ever is being born to this little girl in the middle of Bethlehem, the Nowheresville. He's going to grow up in Nazareth, which is so cool. What? What? When Jesus starts his ministry, okay, the first thing he says about his ministry in Mark Chapter 1, verse 14, after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee and he proclaimed the gospel, the good news of God, saying, okay, here's the way he proclaims it, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. What's the good news? The king has come. That's the good news. He's come and he will bring righteousness and he will bring justice and he will bring peace and he will bring all that we've ever wanted. The king has come. You can understand now why the Romans killed him, right? And why they put a big sign above his head that says, here's, here's the king of the Jews. Because they were basically saying, oh, you think you're a king? Check this out. We'll crucify you, put you up here and put a sign, put you in a public place so everybody can walk by and say, this is what we did to the king of the Jews whose kingdom will have no end. Remember when Peter, at the end of, uh, at the, end of uh, the Gospels, you know, Jesus is being arrested? Do you remember, some of you guys remember what Peter did? Peter, his chief follower, he pulls out his sword, which he's been packing for a while, waiting to use, baby, and he pulls it out, and he's like, ah! And he chops the ear of this uh, servant of, uh, of the Pharisees. He chops his ear off. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Actually, he takes the ear, puts it back on Malchus's head. Oh, man, I'm sorry about that. He's a mess, right? <laughs> and he turns to Peter and he sa- he's like, whoa, this isn't how it goes, dude. I'm not supposed to, I'm supposed to go and suffer. But you understand what Peter's coming from. He's like, no, you're not. You're supposed to be the king who kicks everyone's butt. We've been waiting all this time. You can do the miracles and like all the stuff. Just bring the angels from heaven. I got my sword. We're ready to go. You see, when he dies on the cross, I'm sure the disciples were still waiting while he's hanging there on the cross thinking, dude, he's ready to come down like a Jedi, and he's just going to pull that lightsaber and ham all over everybody. Does he? No. How is he the king then? Well, on the third day, he rises again, defeating the real enemy, which is sin and death, and he comes back and he, he, he then, when the, when, the, when the disciples have a chance to ask him, right? They've been waiting for this kingdom to, for Israel for all this time. When they, when they finally get a chance to ask him about the kingdom, this is in Acts 1 verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, okay, 
you've been resurrected, you've appeared to all these people. Uh, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What are they asking? Is this the time for the rule? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. In other words, yeah, not yet. In the meantime, you guys are going to be my witnesses. You're going to testify to the king and the kingdom in all, over, all over the place, but not, not yet. If not yet, then when? Jesus goes, he sends on high, right? Then when? When does this kingdom find its full consummation? When does it find its full form? Well, if you go to Revelation chapter 11, here's what you get. Revelation eleven fifteen. the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. No? <laughs> and the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you has taken your great power and you've begun to reign. The nations raged. <laughs> Remember Psalm 2? Why do the nations rage? The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. So there is a day coming where the fullness of this kingdom will be realized. So look, all of that was to say this. The kingdom of God is the eternal rule and reign of King Jesus. It was promised in ages past. It was begun when Jesus lived, died, and rose again. And it will reach its full form when Jesus returns. Maybe the best way to explain what I mean by that, it's begun, but not yet reached its full form, is to do it with a picture. Uh, years ago, there was a, right when the Rise of Skywalker came out, it was the last film in the Star Wars stuff, um, there was this guy, he was on vacation with his wife, and he sat down, he left her behind on the beach or whatever, and he came inside into his, into his hotel room, and he turned on his little camera, and he said, okay, I'm going to watch the trailer. The trailer has just dropped 24 minutes ago for The Rise of Skywalker. Okay, so I'm going to sit here, I'm going to watch it, and I'm just going to let you see my response. So this guy sits down, and he hits play, and he's over in the corner, and then the trailer is over here, and you see him watching the trailer. You watch the trailer, you watch him watching the trailer. And the trailer comes up, and it's a picture of this Star Wars world, and he's the meet cool scenes and his guy who's like three minutes like three seconds into it and he's like got tears streaming down his face <gasps> okay this went all over the internet because people were like dude it's star wars <laughs> so you left your wife on the beach did you to come up and watch the star wars preview okay at the end i mean he's blowing his nose he's so excited about all this preview 
You know, people made fun of it for a while, but see, as a Christian, I think this is a great picture of what it's like to be a Christian awaiting the coming of our king, and here's why. Um, You and I have seen the trailer a lot. It's brought tears to our eyes. The trailer is filled with real scenes, real stuff. It tells a real story about a real king who has come. But what it's made us do more than anything else is long for the release. We, like, we want the release. And there are days in our lives where we are in tears, like this brother is. He's, he's in tears, just thrilled about the coming of the fullness of the film. And so here we sit, with tears streaming down our faces, sometimes out of sorrow and sometimes just out of sheer anticipation for what will be. The kingdom of God is already here, but it's not yet fully here. And so in the meantime, we pray. What do we pray? We say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, so that was just all the theology and biblical background, okay? You still with me? All right, so... What is the kingdom? Rule and reign of Christ. Already, not yet fully. Second, how do you get into the kingdom? That seems kind of important, right? Like, okay, there's this kingdom coming. I, I want to be in the I don't want to be one of the nations raging. I would rather be the, one of the people who's celebrating the coming of the king. It's interesting that That very question is dealt with by Jesus when a religious leader comes up to him. In John chapter 3, this religious leader, his name's Nicodemus, he should know the answers to these questions. He should know how one gets into the kingdom. But here he comes along, man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night, meaning he didn't want anybody else to see it. And he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I always laugh here. I'm like, answered what? The guy didn't ask a question. Jesus is like, let's just cut to the chase here. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. This guy who's been longing for the kingdom his whole life and the coming of the king... You can't see it unless you're born again, which makes him be like, wait, what? How can a man be born when he's old? I think he probably said this part with a big smile on his face, giggling. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, that's stupid, right? I must not have heard you right. Jesus answered, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I say to you, unless one is born of the water of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again. You must be born of water and Spirit. There needs to be a complete renewal. What you were washed away. Like a baby entering a new life, you need to be brought into that. Nicodemus, you need to turn away from everything that you once were. You need to say it was all terrible and all my attempts to seek righteousness on my own never worked. And you need to come humbly. Do you guys remember the story of the rich ruler? 
Uh, rich guy comes up to Jesus, says, how can I be saved? Jesus is like, keep the commandments. And he's like, I've kept them all. And Jesus is like, let's try the first one. You shall have nowhere the gods before me. Um, go sell all you had and give uh, to the poor. And then you can come follow me. Let's put to test whether or not you really think that I'm, you should have me before all other things. <laughs> he runs off and says, no, I can't do that. I can't do that because he loves, he loves riches too much. And then, and then what Jesus says immediately, he's walking away and he's sad. He says out loud, man, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel, big animal, to go through the eye of a needle, tiny hole, than for a rich person to go, through the, go into the kingdom of God. Why is that? Because entrance into the kingdom requires humility. It requires a submission to what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, that everything I've done before this, all the things I stand upon that give me standing in the world are absolute rubbish and need to be cast away so that I can gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own but a righteousness that comes by faith so that he can count me righteous and he can see me as his person. I mean, guys. So you have passages. So, you, so it's a turning. How do you enter the kingdom of God? Well, you say, I want the kingdom of God. And you turn away from what you were and turn toward what you are. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says it the opposite way. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And by unrighteous here, he means, okay, the people I'm about to describe are people who you could put a label over the top of their life and it would describe exactly what they're like. It's not person, a, single, a person who you know, has been sexually immoral on one occasion or four occasions or whatever. It's somebody who persists in sexual immorality so we can take a tag, put it on their shirt and says, hi, my name is sexual immorality. Don't you know that the unrighteous, the unrepentant, perpetual unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral or idolaters or adulterers or men who practice homosexuality or thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. You used to be part of that world and that life pursuing all those things. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified, set apart. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. How do you enter the kingdom? Uh, I want to turn away from what I formerly was because it's getting me nowhere. It's a complete mess. I've made a mess of my life, and I want to be, Jesus, what it is that you have for me. That's it. And it's not just words. It's words that find their fruit, ultimately, in righteousness, in living out those things that you've committed to. I've said this before, you know, like, my job every week, basically, is I, I, I'm, a, I'm an emissary of the king. That's my job. Jeff Buckham, emissary of the king. It's way better than my title right now. We're going to do that from now on. You know, my, my job is actually coming here. Look, folks, I don't, care where you're, I don't care what your spiritual background is at all. I don't care if you claim to be a Christian, not Christian, faking it, whatever. I'm just telling you that the king is at the gates. 
And I'm telling you that the king at the gates has a power that will overwhelm the kingdoms of this age. You have no, the nations are raging, but they will not win. The Lord in heaven laughs. He's at the gates. He sent me and all sorts of other emissaries in, and we're here to proclaim to you the coming of the king. He will bring righteousness and justice. He will judge righteously. But here's the thing. He offers amnesty. He offers freedom and grace. In this moment of time, there's a little gap. You get to make a decision between when he's giving the offer and when he comes. You get to make a decision about whether you want to bow your knee to this king. Listen, you're going to bow your knee to the king one way or another. You're either going to bow your knee to the king with him standing over you with a rod of iron, or you're going to bow your knee willingly and saying, I want to be part of that righteous kingdom. If, if that's what you want, then all you do is say, I, don't, I hate what, why it was. I want to be what I am. Have mercy on me, a sinner. That's it. That's it. And then you rise from your humble knees and you become a full member of the king and you will eat at his table forever and ever and the kingdom will, his kingdom will have no end. That my job is to stand in front of people all the time and offer that to them. And one day I'll be out of a job because the king will make the gates fall. All right, last one. Uh, what is the kingdom? How do we enter it? Okay, so then how do we live in the meantime? How do we live awaiting the full kingdom of God? Okay, so the kingdom's begun, but it's not fully here. Like, what do we do in this time now? What kinds of, how, how should this kingdom of God stuff influence the way that we think about our lives here and now? Well, first thing, um, Jesus actually gave us marching orders. Listen, he, Jesus came and said to them, all authorities, Matthew 28, all authorities, listen, we started at the beginning. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What does that sound like? Yeah, I'm the king. Go therefore, because I'm the king, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The end of what age? Well, the age that is passing away with all its kingdoms. I'm going to be here the whole time with you. I'm going to be standing at the gate, actually. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to make disciples. What kinds of disciples? Well, I'm glad you asked that. I preached an entire sermon about that last week. Uniquely planted, deeply rooted, carefully pruned, and persistently fruitful disciples. Okay, Jeff, but how are we going to do that? Got it. We're supposed to make disciples. Yes, you've defined disciples as those things. But how exactly should we make it? Okay, you want practical? You want like boots on the ground, what we as a church are going to do to try to help you enter this kingdom, be die happy in Jesus. One, we're going to gather. Two, we're going to grow. And three, we're going to go. We're going to gather, we're going to grow, we're going to go. What do you mean by gather? Well, what you're doing right now. Look, uh, it is very right for us to say that the church of Jesus Christ is the embassy of the kingdom of God on earth, right? This is where the kingdom people gather together every week and we remember our king. We remind each other that our king is coming. We learn about what the kingdom life looks like. 
We are urged away from the kingdoms of this age and their rules and their values, and we are pushed towards the kingdoms, the kingdom of God's dear Son, which will last forever. This mind renewal from that to this requires lots of time, lots of effort, lots of reminding. So we gather together, and we have this embassy, and we have a meeting every week where we get to do this. Listen, if that's the case, if this is an embassy of the kingdom of God, and this is the meeting of the kingdom of God people, this is the most important meeting on the face of the earth each week. I'm not kidding. The meetings that are happening in the White House... The meetings that are happening in Paris or all around the world where the World Economic Forum or whatever, pick your meeting. It's not as important as the gathering of God's people. Because all of those kingdoms are passing away. All of that stuff is just temporary. Those kingdoms will become the kingdoms of God and His dear Son. So here we are, focused on the kingdom of God and His dear Son. Why would you miss this? I don't... If I got invited to the White House tomorrow, I would go. I would, and I would linger. I wouldn't just show up and be like, listings, and leave. I'd be wandering around. I'd get arrested, right? But I'd be wandering around. I'd be, I'd be there a long time. I'd be shaking people's hands and spending time. I want to know what you think and what you think. I'd be thinking to myself, my goodness, I'm in the hall of power, baby. Like, this is the center of the world. Do you realize that when you come and gather at the church of Jesus Christ, you're actually in the center of what God is doing in the world? Like, why would you, why would you, first of all, why would you not come? And second, why when you come, wouldn't you just be like, mm, I'm going to stick around a little bit. I'm just going to wander around a little bit so I can spend time with this eternal dude and that eternal dude and that eternal lady. And I can help them remember that our king is coming and I can have them remind me that the kingdoms of this age are passing away. Yeah. I'd probably want to do it physically. There's, there's nothing wrong with going online and watching. You know, there's lots of you know, COVID and all sorts of reasons why it is that we watch online. But I, honestly, I, I, you, we miss something when we're not seeing each other physically. You know that, right? You know that in your marriage, right? You didn't get married, stand on the altar, and then after you're done, say, honey, I'll Zoom you later. And then you walk away. <laughs> And that's because Zooming is just not, it's not it. You know it's not it. At some point, you want to reach out and touch them. At some point, you want to hear them singing next to you with that awful tune. At some point, you physical want to embrace others who are physical in the eternal physical reign of Christ. That's how we are made. So what are we going to do? We're going to gather all the time, as often as we possibly can. We're going to gather. We're also going to grow. Now, what do you mean by grow? What's going to happen when we grow? Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Just listen to the language here about how he describes the growth of a Christian. Uh, this I say, Paul says, in the Lord, that you must not, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Gentiles are a people group. You know, there's Jews and there's Gentiles. But in some contexts, it's just used, the word Gentile is just used as pagans. They're the people who don't love God. So in this context, that's what he's saying. You must no longer walk as the pagans do. You must no longer walk as those who don't love God do. In the futility of their mind. 
They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart. This is the description of those who are apart from Christ. They don't think right. They've got hard hearts. They've become callous and given themselves to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That's the life that you came from, the kingdoms of this age. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Been transferred from that kingdom to the kingdom of God's dear son, assuming, of course, that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, you were taught to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and the righteousness and holiness. Our job as Christians is to push away what we once were and strive toward what we are, not what we want to be, what we are. He did take you from darkness. He did make you light in the Lord. Live as you are. Be who you are. It takes a long time for you to learn that. You need to actually spend a lot of time around people to understand who you actually are because your mind constantly will go back here. You spend all week long with people who are trying to convince you that the old manner of life is the best way to live. And I'm telling you, the more time you can spend with people who are telling you no, be who you are, the more you will grow in Christ. And so look, is it enough for you to come to church? Eh, sure. But if I were you, I'd be interested in maybe getting together with a group or two. Like, I, I maybe want to spend a Wednesday night with some people, other Christians so I can remind this. I mean, Sunday to Sunday can be a while. I want to get my mind going on what this newness is. So we have groups and stuff. You can find out on our info table on our website. We have all sorts of groups that you could be a part of. I don't know why you wouldn't. I mean, unless you want to have a foot in both worlds. <laughs> Right, but friendship with the world's enmity toward God. Okay, uh, we're going to gather, we're, we're going to grow, and finally we're going to go. Well, what do you mean by go? Uh, well, look, um, the language that's used of the kingdom of God in the scriptures, like, this is actually something you should know. There is never a language used that we are here to build God's kingdom. I know we like to talk that way. I, we don't build the kingdom of God. Jesus has built it. We receive it, we inherit it, we live our lives in light of its reality, we don't build it, we announce it. So when we go, what are we doing? Well, we're doing what I do every week. Hey guys, there's a king at the gates and he's going to come in, you got this tight period of time and you need to repent and believe the gospel. You bow your knee now or you can bow your knee later, but now's better, eh? So we, we, we've been put in all sorts of places in our lives where we get to announce this message to folks. All sorts of places, outside the church walls. We get to announce it. But that's, listen, that's not the only thing kingdom people do. We don't just go out and announce the kingdom. We also live in light of its reality. We basically are little kingdom lights. We gather and then we scatter all over the place as little kingdom lights in all these places that the Lord has uniquely planted us. Boo, boo, boo. So you work as a mechanic, and your job as a mechanic is to look at your workplace and say, okay, 
If I'm a kingdom of God light here, how am I going to bring the kingdom of God values into the everyday of my workplace? Well, I'll tell you what. You probably would end up saying, as a mechanic, I'm not going to lie to people about what it costs. Look, I know the whole industry is built upon that because insurance pays it, but I'm not going to lie to people. I'm just going to trust the Lord to take care of my money, and I'm going to be honest because that's what kingdom people do. If you're an employer, you know that you can just run through people and treat them basically like they're little cogs in a machine, and I'm going to pick them out, throw them away, pick them out, throw them away. That's just the way it works, you know? Productivity, money. But in the kingdom, you might have to make a change here or there, but you're making a change with people. You value people. So it might change the way you do leadership. If you're a lawyer, there's no hope. <laughs> if you're a lawyer, you're gonna, listen, you're going to change the way you do law. You're, you're, you're going to be honest and upfront and if you're a politician, you're not going to sink down to all the stupid levels that this age works on. I'm going to climb the ladder and backbite with this guy. And do, You're not doing any of that. Instead, you're going to say, look, I stand before God, and if he wants me to be president, I'll be president, but I'm not going to give up my integrity along the way. You're a kingdom of God light. When you're watching the baseball game, you're a kingdom of God light. How bad I am at this. The coach, you don't see those kids just as a way to pad your ego because you're going to win all the games. You see those kids as your mission field and their families as your mission field. Don't you see you're a kingdom of God, sent person, uniquely planted in that place to announce the kingdom and to show it to them. I didn't need to preach the whole sermon. I could have just read this verse. Right here, I'm so sorry I wasted your time, okay? At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Amen? Lord, thank you for my friends. I'm thankful, Father, for the big picture of the kingdom, and I'm thankful uh, that you, King Jesus, are coming and that you will, you will soon return and you'll make all things right. And all of the effort that we've put forward in our lives to live righteously and to walk your way, and it has cost us things, right? You say, you say blessed are those who suffer for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so many of us feel poor in spirit, Father, and so many, is a, many of us suffer because we don't follow the ways of this age. We are aliens and strangers, but Lord, please, please, please renew our commitment to it. Give us a vision for what is to come. Help us to live our lives as children of the King, sons and daughters who've been brought in from the cold, adopted. Let your grace fall upon us. May we remember always we never did anything to get here, but your kindness, your kindness was just so great. And so we're thankful for that. We ask, Lord, that you'd send us out, that you'd send us out with vision and purpose as lights for the kingdom of God wherever you place us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. 
For more information and how to get connected to one of our campuses, go to harvestbible.org. Tune in again next week for another edition of the Harvest Bible Chapel podcast.